All right, welcome to Masterclass Theology. We are in the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 2. I've entitled tonight's lesson with a preposition, which is never a good idea. But tonight's class is called In. Not as in I-N-N, as in, the, you know, they went to, to Bethlehem and there was no room in the inn. I-N. Because that preposition is all over this text. And that preposition, in, is very powerful in this text. In fact, just if you have your Bibles open, just look at all the times in. I've circled like nine or ten times. So we're in 1 John 2, verses 3 to 14. How's it going? I'm Big Rev, otherwise known as Joel. I am passing around the room my football helmet. I had the honor of purchasing that helmet for my college. I went to Knox College, Galesburg, Illinois, all the way across the state. Division three school. We weren't much to write home about football-wise. I walked on my senior year. I was playing uh, some basketball, some intramural basketball, and all of a sudden it was in the middle of winter, late in my junior year, and the, uh, I hear this voice, Hey, you move pretty good for a fat guy. No offense. Oh, thanks. And then I ended up being the head coach of the football team. And he's like, I'm looking for guys to help me with our defensive line next year. Can you be wide? I can be wide. You bet. I'm as wide as they come. In fact, for any of you who are ever wondering, oh, geez, he's got a weight problem. Yeah, you don't say that when you watch your football game. You like those big fat guys right in the middle of the field, stopping the run. Wide. Covering that gap so nobody can run in. So I wanted to start, oh, my football helmet, oh, look at the scars. Woo! Boy, this is, and those of you listening can't look, haha. But man, oh, the, the, it looks so fresh and new, and now it's all beat up, and you can barely tell some of it is purple, but yeah, football helmet. I wanted to open up with this as an example of uh, learning transcends knowledge. I learned some things in football. I, I only played one year, I played my last possible year of eligibility, senior year of college. I just walked on. I didn't start. I was on the JV squad, but it was a blast. I was on the scout team, and yeah, it was really fun to play football. But I, I've learned some things in football that I can tell you about and give you knowledge, but there's learning that transcends that knowledge. So for example, I learned this. The field that you play on is not your field. It's not your school. I played college ball. It's not your college's field. It's your coach's field. And you don't walk on coach's field. When you're on the, the football field, you are running. You are not walking on a football field. You do not walk on coach. I walked on coach's field once. Once. That was big guy running laps. Number two. And we are, the larger you get, the, the, the last thing you want to do is run. Gravity is not your friend. The future of arthritis coming to those joints upon me pounding the pavement is not your friend. So we don't want to run. Number two, I learned 50 is just a number. Oh, I made the mistake during, uh, it was homecoming week. We were playing our arch rival, Monmouth College. And, and the defensive line coach was doing these, these drills with us with the ball. And we had to get the ball. The ball, we were on the defensive line. Get the ball, get the ball. I made the mistake one day. He dropped the ball. And all of a sudden, I turned into Cristiano Ronaldo, soccer player. 
I lashed my foot out and I stopped the ball from hitting the ground. The problem is I punted that ball 20 yards away. I couldn't do it again if I tried. It's like, Bradshaw, drop and give me 50. 50 what? Well, guess what? This big old hunk of a man did 50 effortless push-ups. They were just, okay, the, the, it was just like you don't even think. You're full gear, add 40 pounds, helmet, shoulder pads, boom, boom, boom. The whole defensive line looking at me, and it's like I was scared. I'm like, he's going to make me run. I don't want to run. I'll do these push-ups, and I'm not a push-up guy. My goodness. But, yeah, 50 is just a number. When you're scared and when you've got to do that, so you don't, you, I can just tell you that, but until you've learned it, Wow. I also learned number three, the worst snake has no fangs. You catch that? The worst of all snakes has no fangs. You know how wide a football field is? I believe it's 50 yards and a third or something like that. It's obscenely wide. Here was a snake, the worst of all football drills. You start at one end zone, the zero yard line as it were, and you jog down on one end of the field, one sideline, five yards. Then you stop, and you turn left, and you jog 50 yards. Then you stop, and turn right, and go five more, all the way down the field. 50, five, 50, five, 50. You hate that snake? The snake is the worst thing in the world. I will take any other physical animal snake. That snake, the worst snake, has no name. To this day, if I'm talking to any of my old football guys, hey, how about the snake? Don't talk about the snake. Wow. You learn Philippians 4.13, running the snake. I can do all things. I can do all things. Some of you know marathoners. They, get, they, they, they gleefully choose the snake. Number four, that first hit. Hell week. Two-a-days. You got full pads on. The coaches finally let, you, finally let you loose, and you get to hit something. You talk a big game until you have to tackle something. Boom. And you get in the shower the next day, and you're purple everywhere. All the beating you did to yourself, tackling things and hitting things. You are completely purple. You get in the shower, and you're like, ah, bruises everywhere. And then if you're on the offense, being tackled. Boxers talk about that, getting in the ring and finally getting punched. It's like when you finally hit, you feel that jarring of your body and your bones. and urgh, That's when it becomes real. You can talk about it, but you've got to learn it. And finally, the prairie fire. You can see on my helmet there, there's a K. I went to Knox College. Knox is a silent K. I went to Knox College, and our mascot was the prairie fire. The wimpiest sounding mascot of all time. But I was a biology major. And we took a field trip out to a, a controlled burn. And I got to see what a prairie fire looked like. I stopped making fun of prairie fires. Prairie fires are no joke. Now it's kind of weird on the sidelines. We're like, yeah, go fire. You know, okay, the prairie fire. But you, I learned real quick. I'm not talking about prairie fires anymore. You see, there's learning and then there's just knowledge. But once you've experienced something, everything changes. That's going to play in our text today. Let's open, with, open up with prayer. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for these men and women who are journeying alongside me as we dig into your word. 
1 John chapter 2. I pray that tonight goes according to your will, knowing that it indeed will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First section, words and deeds. We are in chapter 2 of the book of 1 John. If you're in the book of John, same author. Go to the back of the Bible, though, right before Revelation, 1 John. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. There's our first in. Okay. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. The key word of this section is this. Keep. K-E-E-P, keep. We, got a, we, we have a flashback moment here from John. John 15, 10, these are the words of Jesus. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. See, see, John's talking about this. This is not new stuff. John's bringing this up, and John is like, listen, I knew Jesus, and Jesus talked this way, and this is the kind of stuff he talked about. If you keep my commands, Jesus said, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. Wow. Knowledge versus knowing, we kind of talked about that. You know, you, know, you know a good example of knowledge versus knowing? Knowledge is why Judas got paid. You with me? Remember, Jesus lived in a world where no paparazzi existed. There was no pictures. There was no internet. There was no, I don't know, tabloids in your supermarket shopping lines. There were no supermarket shopping lines. You could very easily at night not know who he was. A bunch of maybe smelly, bearded Jewish men hanging out in the evening in the Garden of Gethsemane. Which one's Jesus? We want to arrest the right one. Who's going to know? Well, Mary would know. I mean, there's various people that would know. The 12 would know. That's why they salivated when Judas came to them in the end of Matthew. Hey, what will you give me if I betray him? And they're thinking to themselves, these Pharisees, these, these temple precincts, they're like, oh my gosh, we finally have someone. He's ours. Because if anybody's going to recognize this Jesus in the dead of night, in the middle of nowhere, it's one of these guys. You see, knowing Jesus just enough, that's what got Judas paid. But did he really know Jesus? He kind of knew, uh, he knew Jesus enough to do that. But does he know Jesus in the way that John's talking about here? If you really know Jesus. So we're left to kind of reverse engineer this a bit. Like these people who are making divisions in John's church are accusing John of something. John doesn't call him out here, but he's saying things like this. Like, oh, you must not really know Jesus. Because if you knew Jesus, you know, like we know Jesus. And John is saying, no, wait a minute. If you know Jesus, you're going to keep his commands. Hello, that's what he talked about, Jesus. John 15. If you really know Jesus, you've got to keep it. And there's another if-then. We had three huge if-thens last week from 5 and 6. If anyone obeys his word, that love is, is complete. Oh, and, and, and ladies, don't even lie. You know you like that scene from Jerry Maguire. You complete me. You complete me. The lamest romantic comedy line ever that got so much play 
You complete me. Oh, please. But guess what? You want that love to be complete. That complete word is like when Jesus is on the cross and he yells out, it is complete. Well, he yells out, it is finished. Same idea. What Jesus was aiming for, what he was doing, reached its completion. That's what you need. You want your love for God, specifically your obedient love to Jesus, to be made complete, not lacking. Where someone can say, oh, you're doing a good job. Bless your heart. And then it ends. No. If then, if you obey his word, that love is made complete in you. This is how we know we are in him. That's the number one thing to know ever. How am I going to spend the rest of my life? How, if I were to die, God forbid, tonight, what would happen to me? Would I be with Jesus or would I not be with Jesus? I just don't know. How did I know that I could be with him? Am I in him? Is there something, you know, and, and, and like kids would say, invite Jesus into your heart. And that's not the worst analogy. It's, it's, it, it works. Because you're inviting Jesus in as if he's not on the outside where you can give him the Heisman pose and keep him at bay. No, he's in. He's a part of you. You are a part of him. It's, it's a metaphor, but it works. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Wow. You see, Judas could claim that he knew Jesus. But could he really claim that he knew Jesus? Would he claim to know Jesus by John's words here? He couldn't. Because how could you know Jesus and betray Jesus? I hope that kicks your rear. Because so many of us live to please Jesus. We have all these words. We have all these praises. And oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, I love you and I will do anything for you. And my life is yours until it's me time. Until I can hide and do my thing. Until I can have some fun. I'll, I'll always come back. You're never, I'm never going to run away, but i got to have some me time, God. i got to have these moments where I, I need to satisfy me for a while. You know what that communicates. It communicates he's not enough. That doesn't work in your marriage. If your spouse says, oh, we, what we have is great, but I have to have something on the side. I'm not enough. What is that love all about? That's not love, but do we do that with God? Now, I'm not accusing anybody. Lord knows this is most of my life doing this. But it sticks in my craw. Because I can't claim to know God if I'm running my own side business here. So, what? take a moment here. Question in blue in the middle of the page. What would give you confidence that you were on God's team? Use this text, these first few verses, 3 to 6. What would give you confidence that you were on God's team? Just take two minutes here. That's what this is all about. This is all about confidence. John, one of his words is know, K-N-O-W. He wants you to know, no doubt, to have confidence, to know. What would be something, and just write this stuff down. And you know what, I'll, I'll, give you some, I'll give you some clues from football. How would you know somebody's on a football team? 
Well, they're wearing the uniform. That's how the casual person knew that I was one of the Knox College Prairie Fire. I was squeezed into my uniform. I was a very pleasantly plump defensive lineman in my uniform, but oh well, I was wearing the uniform. The second way I knew I was on that team is because I was recognized by the coach. Bradshaw, get over here. Bradshaw, drop and give me 20. Bradshaw, take some laps. Bradshaw, lift those knees when you run. Evidently, I don't lift my knees when I run. It's all coming back to me. The coach recognizes you. And finally, you're journeying with these teammates. You're going to war with teammates. Oh, yeah, that's how I know. Now apply that. I like to, to, to break down the book of Revelation, John's last book, with this word. God's team is going to win, so get on God's team. And then I like to follow it up with this. As long as you're on God's team, wear the uniform. What uniform do you need to wear? According to this passage here. What needs to be you? What could you be doing to give you confidence you're on God's team? What is it about you that needs to change and be more like Jesus? That's something that you ought to be sticking in your craw. That's something that every single day ought to be lambasting you. What needs to change about me and be more like Jesus? I mean, that's it. I mean, that, that, that's the meaning of life right there. The meaning of the Christian life after the cross. Old and new, seven and eight. Here we go. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. So we're getting this idea. It's almost like a reverse hipster thing. It's like it's, we're getting this idea that maybe John's opponents were saying, oh, you're just going to give us some new information. We have the old stuff. Like, the, I guess, becoming popular now to get vinyl prints of, uh, pr vinyl pressings of, of like, albums. Oh, this sounds so much better. If you have it, the right needle, and oh my gosh, you'll never be able to. Oh, please. There's a reason why they're not made anymore except for the hipster market. They do not sound better than anything digital or anything like that. It's just not possible. You clean everything out and every new technology. We all said the same thing. I remember when I had all my cassettes and I'm like, oh, I got to get CDs now. Oh, they're going to sound so much better. And I would always be like, no way, man, because that's on a little disc of shiny and this is all on tape. And as long as I can get the tape back in there, you know, the, the, get the little the pencil and you wind it back. Okay, as long as I've got that, there's no way it sounds better. Of course it sounded better. But I had tapes. It's like DVDs and oh, all my VHS. Oh, you can't beat VHS. Oh, please. The one time where I didn't know about it was Laserdisc. But people swear by Laserdisc that it actually was an upgrade, though it went nowhere. So what is it about this? So evidently John's being, being somewhere back in the line, oh, you're giving us new information. Or you're giving, oh, we have all the new stuff, and you're just playing around with the old. We have all upgraded our Jesus app, thank you. We don't need the old stuff. We have it now. I don't know what they were saying. And it doesn't matter, because John hits both of them here. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. Which is, by the way, kind of saying, if this is new to you, you never really knew Jesus. Because uh, John's like a broken record. He's beating that same drum again and again and again. So if all this is new, I'm not blaming you for not knowing Jesus, because you can get to know Jesus, but don't say you know Jesus if this is new to you. I'm writing you not a new command, but an old one. 
which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The key word of this section, truth. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 17, he's praying to the Father, he says, sanctify them, and sanctify means to make them holy. Take them from that state, this profane, unholy state that they're in, and make them more like you, more holy. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Oh, well, that's not very tolerant and accepting. Who do you think you are, Jesus? A claim upon the truth. Who can claim truth? Well, evidently, Jesus can. He better be God, otherwise he's way too cocky for his own good. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. Oh, really? That doesn't work out. Play that one in certain parts of the country. Play that one in certain cultures. No. Sanctify them by the, by the truth, comma, your word is truth. There's always going to be pilots out there, Pontius Pilate that's going to call to Jesus' face and go, what's truth? And we've been saying that 2,000 years later. What's truth? And Jesus is saying the same thing. God's word is truth. He is the way, not a way, the way and the truth. Wow. Now think about that for a second. The idea here is old and new is really great when it comes to the Bible because it's, you, you kind of, I encourage you, there's, there's a website that's a fun website. Um, I just was there today and I sent, I sent my mother a text with a, with a, with, with a hymn in it. Hymntime.com or like it used to be called the cyber hymnal. Go check out old hymns. You can click on them. There's like a, they'll play like a little sound file. How do hymns sound? And you can read these lyrics. You can get the stories of the hymns. There's something about these old hymns. Oh man, his rocks. It is awesome. And by the way, if you've ever known anybody to complain about the music of today, when these hymn writers wrote their hymns. The, 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 the older people of their day were complaining. Oh, you're writing this hymn stuff, are you? We, we want our Gregorian chants. Don't you dare write anything new. They rocked the boat when they wrote the hymns. And you read the hymns and you go, geez, it's so old and, and crusty looking. No, it's powerful. Some of this stuff is so in-depth and just, it's wonderful. It's old, but if you're just catching wind of it, it's brand new. Is the Bible like that for you? This ancient, ancient, ancient text. Are you able to take this ancient text, this old text, and live it out brand new each day? That's the challenge. Oh, you're one of those Bible people. Yeah, because God keeps rocking my socks. If you only knew how much God has blessed me with his very word. Will you take a moment? Will you write down three old Bible truths that come to mind that you need to live each day. I know I'm asking a lot of you. You're like, oh, I didn't expect this. I don't know what to write. Fine. That's okay. Maybe there's Bible verses you're like, oh my gosh. And I tell you what, if it'll help you, I'll give you my three. As you're writing, I'll give you my three I wrote down. I've got three verses that organize my day. 
I call these, I'm the care pastor here at the bridge, I call these my care pastor verses. The first one is Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Not me, but he's God. And I need to be still. You, addicted to social media. You, never putting down your phone. You, always doing everything for the Instagram. Do it for the gram. You, limiting your life and organizing your life for people's reactions to your life. You, always doing all these things, staying as busy as possible, because if you stay as busy as possible, you don't have enough time to think about yourself. That's many times me. I know there's got to be at least one more in here that's you. You, be still and know that he is God. He's got this. Be still on the inside. The second one is, 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 is King David in Psalm 31. He says, and David's always going through some, some garbage or another. But he says, in Psalm 31, 14 and 15, he says, but I trust you, God. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. So many parts of my day, I am literally saying to myself, my times are in your hands. Monday morning, when it's time to get on the scale to see how good of a boy I was that week. Oh, anxiety upon anxiety. Oh, how am I going to feel the rest of the day now? Gonna step on that scale. I'm saying my times are in your hands, God. And finally, the most popular psalm of all, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I need to remind myself that A, I am not the shepherd, I am the sheep. And the sheep depends upon the shepherd. The sheep needs to get in line and obey his shepherd. I gotta tell myself these three truths every single day. Now you might have some others. Maybe you need to remind yourself that God does love you and that God is worthy of our trust. Maybe you have to remind yourself that, yeah, life sometimes really sucks, but God is faithful. That was mine for many years. What's something, that this great old truth of the Bible that you need to live fresh and new each day? One of the things I'm learning in, in, in biblical counseling is that it's never wise to listen to your heart. But it is wise to talk, to talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. Now, I'm not saying you're kind of some kind of weird schizophrenic person. You're just talking all day long. No. These three things I tell my soul all the time. Knock it off. Be still. Know that he's God. He's got this. I know your kid's driving you insane. I know this is the, the bill. I, I know all these things going on. Be still. Tell that to myself. Oh, I say it all the time to my kids. Be still, be still. But to myself, I need to be still. And it doesn't count if you're just still on the outside. Inside, you're like a prairie fire. All right? That doesn't count. Be still on the inside. That's true stillness. Second of all, I'm constantly telling myself, trust God. My dad always said, son, he's a boy. You either trust God or you don't, and you can't fake it either way. I had to learn that. Am I trusting God? So I don't know what you're going to write down on your three, and I don't really want to know. This is your business. I gave you mine to kind of help you out. Take these old Bible truths and live them new each day. I don't know where God is in my life. I don't know if he's really meaning anything. If my life is ever making a difference, I don't know if God's truth, if God's distant from me, if God's, you know, I just don't know. I read this Bible, but come on, it's so old. It is. You better believe it's old. It's time-tested. This Bible 
is not just a, bu a book of words. It's God breathed. God breathed. It's as if God himself is writing your instruction manual. Follow it. Follow him. Okay. Light, we've had words and deeds and old and new and now light and darkness, verse 9 to 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. We've got a lot of in here. Remember tonight's called in. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or a sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Godly love brings light. Light reveals love. Darkness hides hatred. It's as if to say you wake, if you're like me, you're waking up at three in the morning, whether it's because of my bladder or my dog's bladder, one of us has to go pee. I got to make my way through a dark house. The nights where I think, oh, I got this. That's when mysteriously Legos show up. That's when, <laughs> that's when mysteriously toys that turn into ice skates show up. When I say, oh, I got this, I'm not going to turn on a light and wake up the house. I mean, last night I was, I was, I was going, going towards the bathroom or something. I forget. It was late at night. And I, when everyone woke up the next day, they said, what happened? The broom was bent in half. Like a metal broom. I'm like, ah, well, I, yeah, I didn't turn on the light. Usually I'm stubbing toes. When you steadfastly don't turn on that light, you start stubbing toes. When you throw yourself in the darkness and keep yourself in the darkness, refusing to come into the light, only trouble happens. Have that in mind. I had to, so then I got brave. I'm like, oh, I'll just take this broom and bend it back. Do that with metal sometime. What happened? It was potentially usable. It was angled for our sweeping pleasure at that point. Like, oh, okay, well, I guess we can get... It had a weird bent to it. Like, all right, we can make it work. Like, I'll surprise my wife. I'll, I'll, I'll bend it back into shape. Well, bing! Snapped in half. I'm like, I've got the kids. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go out to the garbage. I'll just leave it on the front porch. And so Jen, so Jen comes home and she's like, what happened? You made it worse. I know. I know. Light reveals love. Darkness hides hatred. Light reveals good paths to walk among the dangerous paths. I mean, could you imagine if there was a thing called a sadistic lighthouse? A lighthouse that shined the light but tried to fool you? Like a shine the light. Oh, yeah, this is where the Rocky Shoal is. Oh, yeah, come over here. You're safe. And it instead shines in the worst place. So you follow its light and you still crash. That would be dumb. That would be evil. That would be not following this text right here. It's like you could be in the light. You could be following Jesus. You claim to be in the light, but yet you live like you're not in the light by hating your brother. And if you love your brother, you live in the light. Jesus says, a new command I give to you. The key word of this section, again, is love. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus doesn't have to say it. You're claiming to be on my team, 
and you're not showing active, godly love for your teammates, that is a non sequitur. You are not on his team if you're not loving your teammates. That's kind of harsh, but it's Jesus' words are kind of harsh too. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Listen, so many people don't like us Christians. They think we're intolerant, that we don't accept them. They think that we are stuck in the mud, that we're holding on the crutches. They think all these things about us. Let them. I don't care. Jesus already said the world's already going to hate you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. You think you're better than me? They hated you. They hated him. Why wouldn't they hate me? I don't want the arrow that's in their quiver to be fired at me like, oh, they don't love each other. Oh my gosh, they just treat each other so horribly. Oh, you thought gossip was bad in your workplace? Go to church. Oh my goodness. Oh. You thought that there's a dog-eat-dog culture out there where people are always having to look behind their back to see who's going to jump on them and, and take over their job or whatever? Oh boy, you think it's bad at your job. Boy, come to church. Ouch. By this, the world, you know, the sinful, awful world? The sinful, awful world that shows up in John 3, 16, I might add, that God loves. And thank God that he, thank God that God did, because we're here. But yeah, your outward displays your inward. How you live shows who you live for. Don't be messing with people's minds. Like, oh, I just love Jesus. Oh, I'm so good at my church. I just do all these things. But you hate everybody. You're the greatest like detractor and negative person to everybody in your life. How does that show any of the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How does it show any of that? How are those hanging off the branches of the tree that is your life? Oh, I know Jesus. I love Jesus. Yeah, Judas, know, Judas, Judas knew Jesus too. Got to be careful. Don't live like a hypocrite. Otherwise, you're stubbing your toe in the middle of the night when you could have just hit the light switch. That's stupid. I know. It's like every night for me. I never learn. Don't let that be your life. It's worth it not to make huge noises. Oh, that was daddy falling again. That's already waking them up. What am I accomplishing? Not turning on a light. Oh, I'm going to wake everybody up. No. Me falling is going to wake everybody up. Two towns over is going to wake everybody up. Doesn't matter. That's it. What's it going to be? You are, you are only allowed to love and hate what Jesus did. Now this might hurt just a little bit. Are you allowed to hate? Is there anybody or anything you are allowed to hate? That answer is this. Only if Jesus hated that person or that thing. Who are you supposed to love? Everyone. By the way, the answer is not pop psychology yourself. If I just love myself more, no. You have an advanced master's degree in love of self. It's called selfishness. It's called sin. You are good at that. That's why you're here in church. Because you know you need to be fixed. You know you need to stop loving yourself so much. You can't love yourself and follow Jesus because Jesus demands that you deny yourself. How do I love myself and deny myself? Okay, 
But I'm supposed to love everybody else, love your neighbor as myself, okay? Uh, The idea there is I love my neighbor, not that I love myself, okay? I love my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Uh, It could be anyone. I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, my soul, my, my mind, my strength, okay? Okay? That's who Jesus told me to love. What about my husband or my wife? Don't you know? Don't you know these people in my life that are such mean, they're jerks? Don't you have any idea the way they treat me, the junk they say to me? I have to love them. Well, I only have one question for you. Would you say that that person, be a spouse, be a neighbor, be a kid, would you say that person is your enemy? You're darn right, they're my enemy. Oh, Jesus said, love my enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you have a rotten marriage, if your spouse is a jerk and treats you like nastiness, he or she probably is your enemy. Jesus does not let you off the hook. Love your enemy. Ouch. I was bullied in high school, made fun of. I've got to love those people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not rushing to be their Facebook friends. But in a basic sense, I have forgiven. I'm showing the basics of Jesus' love to them. They are my enemies. See, Jesus says you need to love. If you're anything, love too much. Jesus' way. Who are you allowed to hate? Oh, I got you there, Joel. The Old Testament is full of verses that said God hates. Fair enough. But is God a dude? Is God a dude? Is God a man? Is God, does he have a brain? Is God a human? I'm talking the Old Testament, you know, God. Is, this, is he a human? No. We're told many times God is spirit. So, when God says he hates, he does not turn into a rambunctious, bitter 13-year-old, 16-year-old boy that you've taken the car keys from. I hate you, Mom. God has no emotion, as we understand emotion. Our emotion is full of sin. Our emotion is full of selfishness. Our emotion is full of ick. Our emotion is full of, I got to get something for me because no one else is giving it to me. Even the best of our emotions will trip us up. God, when he shows emotion... There is no sin. Zero sin. So it takes a verse like in Malachi that Paul quotes in Romans 9, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What did he have against Esau? Nothing. If you take the sinful selfishness that we put into love and hate, if you take that away, love and hate become covenant words. God loved as in He chose Jacob. God hated as in he showed a covenant disapproval of Esau and a covenant approval of Jacob. You see, God doesn't have the emotions that we have in the sense that we have them. So then now, am I allowed to hate? Are you able to hate somebody by taking your selfishness out of the equation? Are you able to hate someone the same way God hates? And God hates evil. God hates sin. Hates. Hates. Disapproves. Judges. 
God is king, he is Lord, he is judge, guilty, guilty, guilty. So God, who does not sin, is able to judge. Don't you judge me. Right! Because when I judge you, there's all kinds of sin there. All kinds of selfishness, because I'm all kinds of sinful. So it's hard for me to judge you like God judges you. Because I am so not God. But he is. So who am I allowed to hate? Is there anybody I'm really allowed to hate? People who sin don't like the phrase, hate the sin and love the sinner. They don't like that. It makes them feel bad. That's not God. This is going to be rough. This is going to be a side of theology they don't go a lot. God hates the sin and the sinner. But remember, don't think of hate like you think of hate. God's hate is judgment, as in sin must be paid for. But God, the great mystery and wonder of God is that he still loves. For God so loved the world, the sinful, dirty, cosmic world. But remember, God's love is not some kind of an emotional, oh, studio audience. You know? No. No. So who are we allowed to hate? It sounds like to me, you can waste a lot of words I already have on this. Don't hate. Because you're not God. You're not the judge. And rather than hating people or hating things, spend some time on love. Spend some time on bringing Jesus to that situation. Seek justice in a situation. Don't seek glory. Don't seek personal attaboys or girls. Don't seek getting something. Seek God's glory. And there's no emotional trappings with that. It's like, God, this is yours. You've got this. That might have been a little bit confusing. I'll sum it up real quick. Love like Jesus loved and hate what Jesus hated. Jesus didn't spend much time at all hating anything or anyone. That's all the example you need. Your job is not to hate anything, unless it's your own sin. Self-hatred is also not biblical, by the way. Self-love is not biblical. Self-esteem is, is not. When are you supposed to esteem yourself? Biblically. Anytime. Bueller, Bueller, no, it's not happening. Self-esteem is, is nonsense. You're not esteeming. Any of these self-words are just, they're not biblical. Self-love, self-hate, why are you hating yourself? Excuse me. The answer to self-hate is not self-love. It's humility. So what's going to happen here? Your outward, your outward displays your inward. You're only allowed to love and hate what Jesus said. Does the Bible allow you to hate? Don't waste time with that. You need to love your enemies. You can't ever hate your enemies, so you've got to love them. Who's left at that point? The people who treat you the worst, are you allowed to hate them? Nope, you're supposed to love them. Who's left? The hate. Uh, not, not much. Closing questions. This is a theological, theolo theology lesson. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And John speaks in categories here. He's, it's like he's speaking to different people in, in, in the assembly. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. 
and the word of God lives in you. You've overcome the evil one. So, lightning round, theology 101, boom! Why have you been forgiven? Write that down. Can you, can you answer that question? My sins have been forgiven. Why? On what basis? I'll give you an either or. Was it your works or was it somebody else's works? If it's your works, you're a bit closer to Judaism. You're a bit closer to Islam. If it's somebody else's work, you're a bit closer to Christianity. Why have you been forgiven? The Christian answer, of course, is because of Jesus' work. He died on the cross and paid the sin price for me. What does knowing Jesus do for you? It makes me so superior, man. I have life figured out. I know the sound of one hand clapping. I got the meaning of life. It's all good, man. I don't need some trippy nonsense. I've got it, man. Dude, it's on. I know Jesus. Everybody knows a Jesus somewhere. My goodness, we live in Chicagoland. There's got to be at least one Jesus somewhere out there. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. That was bad. I know Jesus. What would John say? You know Jesus, do you? What's that mean? That means you're different. That means you're living like Jesus. That means you're living not in the darkness anymore, but in the light. So what does Jesus do for you? Knowing him do for you. My goodness, Judas knew Jesus, or did he? And that's the point. You claim to know Jesus, you better live like Jesus. Otherwise, you don't know Jesus. And words are just words. Everybody knows someone that's all talk, and they never come through. And if you don't know someone that way, you are that person. I mean, it's the way it is. It's like everyone has an annoying friend. If you don't have an annoying friend, you probably are the annoying friend. All shawl talk, man. They're all show and no go. They never come through. Is that you? Is that you when it comes to your faith? I mean, there's no, this is it. I mean, you're either walking in the light or walking in the darkness. If you're in the darkness, you're not in the light. That's pretty simple stuff. A two-year-old knows that. Is it light in the room or dark in the room? I don't know. Really? <laughs> you really don't know? Are you currently scared? Yeah, it's dark. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's obvious. You're either in the light or in the darkness. They, but buy, buy someone in your life a glow-in-the-dark thing and have them walk the house trying to find the darkest room. Let's see. Does it really? Find a really dark closet. You wouldn't go in there any other time, but you got this toy, now you're going. Yeah. It either works or it doesn't work. Any little bit of light ruins the toy. So what is this? What does knowing Jesus do for you? What battle was won? He talks about the battle was won. What battle was won? The great battle for my soul, man. This great boxing match, this cosmic boxing match, or I guess now boxing is not as important. This great MMA, UFC, here we go. We got Jesus, the, 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 the Satan killer on one side, and we got Satan, the snake, the serpent, the man. Here he is on the other side, and, and we're going to ring the bell or whatever they do. Or, uh, they're going to fight, and yeah, it's on. And let's buy some tickets and pop some popcorn and watch them beat each other pulpy or something. What battle was won? It was won on the cross. Sin was defeated. Even greater, death was defeated. 
because of that battle, because of that victory, you have hope. What is biblical strength in overcoming? You have overcome the evil one, the text ends. In my house, my, my, my kids have, have found, um, I, I bought a bunch of little barbells, and there's some of them that are really cute, like one-pounders, all right? It's the kind of stuff you like, I, I train my beard with or something, like <laughs> lifting these little guys off the floor. I don't know, what do you do with a one-pound barbell? Like play with your pinky or something? But, uh, but yeah, we've got a few. And my, my little girl, she, she likes picking up the, 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 the one, and sometimes the, th- the two or the three or the five. And she was lugging around the 10-pounder the, the other day, two hands, and just waddling around the room, Daddy, Daddy, here's this. And then I've got some others that are, you know, ones that if I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work for a while, I'm going to, you know, do some curls. And there, there's some that, you know, they'll make a man out of you. There's some serious curls. My kids don't have access to those. You see, in this battle, in this overcoming, one of us in this relationship did all the heavy lifting. And one of us, well, our efforts are like that little one pounder. And it's not even that. Who's overcome? Jesus has overcome the world. He's allowed us to be a part of that. I love in John's final book, Revelation chapter 12, they have overcome by the, 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 uh, the blood of the Lamb and the, and the word of their testimony. Jesus died on the cross. That blood did all the heavy lifting, if you'll pardon the metaphor. All I bring to the table is the sin that needs to be dealt with. So what's the final thing here? We close. What is the brightest light in the night sky? You can say it. The moon. Far and away, nothing's as bright as the moon. I know, there's certain parts of the year where there's a Venus or something. Okay, look at that. Oh, this one over here is a little bit brighter. But nothing ever touches the moon. Nothing's as bright as the moon. The moon is it. But the moon produces no light. In fact, the moon produces zero light. The moon only shows light because it sits there being beaten by the sun all day. It reflects the light of the sun. And that's what it shows. So when you see the moon in the night sky, you're not seeing its own light. You're seeing the light that it can only reflect. Man, make that you. So much of your life is your own light. So much of your life is all about you and all about people's opinions of you and all about, oh, I've got to get this. I've got to make my way. I've got to accomplish. I've got to go west, young man, pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've got to do this, 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 and this. Be like the moon. Reflect Jesus' light. Don't worry about your light. Your light does not matter. And even when Jesus says, let your light shine, he's not talking about your glory. It's always his. Because the the, the answer to let your light shine so that others may see and then do what? Praise God. Not praise you. Praise God. Reflect like the moon. There's a lot of in in this passage. Who are you in? Who is in you? That's the question you've got to be asking yourself.
This has been Big Rev with Masterclass Theology. Thanks for letting me share.